Welcome to this evening's event, a conversation and Q&A with Director Cecilia Alderondo, moderated by Patricia Montoya. We invite you to listen to this event in Spanish and to view the live closed captioning. This event is co-presented by the 2020-2021 Feinberg series, Planet on a Precipice, and the Massachusetts Multicultural Film Festival. I'm Daniel Pope, director of the 28th season of the MMFF, together with my assistant curator, Nefeli Forni Zerpudaki. The theme for the 2021 festival is alliances, presenting an international program of films and media that engage issues of division and isolation and offer compelling visions of connection with people, ecologies, and ideas. Join us each Wednesday through April 7th for live conversations and Q&As with filmmakers and scholars. Now it is with pleasure and gratitude that I present Heidi V. Scott, Associate Professor of History at UMass Amherst, and together with Jessica Johnson and Kevin Young, co-chair of the 2020-2021 Feinberg series, Planet on a Precipice, Histories and Futures of the Environmental Emergency. Heidi. Good evening, everyone. I'd like to begin with just a few words about the Department of History's Feinberg Family Distinguished Lecture Series. The series takes place on a biannual basis, and it's made possible by the generosity of Kenneth R. Feinberg, a 1967 alumnus of the department. Each iteration of the series focuses on a topic of compelling concern to society and invites audiences to consider historical context, interpretation and experience to better understand the topic at hand. This year's series, uh, as Daniel has already mentioned, is entitled Planet on a Precipice, Histories and Futures of the Environmental Emergency. It seeks to deepen our understanding of this emergency through historical analysis, and in so doing to help us envision constructive paths forward. For more information about the series, to view recordings and to register for future events, and also to see a list of our many co-sponsors, please see the series website. The next event, Disaster Capitalism, Ecofascism and Eco-Authoritarianism, takes place on March 4th next week and includes the Puerto Rican scholar and grassroots activist, Katia Abiles Vasquez, who has worked alongside several of the organizers featured in Landfall. It is now my great pleasure to introduce Patricia Montoya, who will be moderating tonight's conversation with Cecilia Aldarondo. Patricia Montoya is a Colombian-American filmmaker and, direct, and, and educator. Her most recent work, Cuando la Rumorosa Calla, When La Rumorosa Quiets, was made in Mexico in 2020 and has already won several awards and honorable mentions in Mexico, India, Europe, and the United States. Presently, Patricia is a visiting faculty member in a visiting professor series at UMass Amherst entitled Filmmaking in the 21st Century. She's also a visiting professor of film at Amherst College, a Rosenthal examiner at Hampshire College, and a five college artist in residence through the Five College Women's Studies Research Center. She holds an MFA from the University of California, San Diego. 
On behalf of the UMass History Department and the Feinberg series, I'd like to thank Patricia for moderating tonight's event, and of course, to sincerely thank Cecilia Aldarondo for presenting her film and participating in this conversation. It's a great honor to have you both with us. And with that, I will now hand over to Patricia. Hi, <clears throat> thank you so much everybody for including me in this, or inviting me to this amazing event. Um, and I would like to, of course, introduce uh, Cecilia Aldarondo um, to the conversation with um, your bio. So Cecilia Aldarondo is a documentary director, producer from Puerto Rican, from the Puerto Rican diaspora, who works at the intersection of poetics and politics. Uh, her feature documentaries include Memories of a Penitent Heart in 2016 and her award-winning Landfall in 2020. Among uh, Cecilia's fellowships and honors are the Guggenheim and a two-time McDowell Colony Fellowship, the 2021 New America Fellowship, and Women at Sundance 2017. In 2019, she was named the uh, Doc New York City 40 Under 40 list and is one of 2015, uh, 2015's 25th new, 25 new faces of independent film. Uh, Cecilia teaches at Williams College. Uh, so thank you so much for being here and mostly really to, for making that wonderful film. Uh, it really was uh, profoundly touching. And um, I, when films get to a place where I will never forget them, they become part of one's life. Right, that's, that's the amazing gift. And um, so you, in my view, you've made a piece that is uh, that kind, it's, it's part of my life now. Thank you. So I'm very grateful for that. Um, so I have a bunch of questions and of course, and I'm also supposed to uh, incorporate the questions of the audience. So it's, 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 it's a more lively and more open. And so I have prepared a bunch of questions, but I won't ask all of them. Uh, and uh, so, my approach would be to talk a little bit about, as a filmmaker here, I would ask questions more directed towards the process of making the film, and especially uh, a documentary with all the tensions that you provide in the film and creating intimacies and the making, the part of the making. But I also have some questions uh, that are more um, kind of political or more contextual. So I'm gonna start with those because those are the more difficult ones. Um, and, and then we break the ice <laughs> that way. Uh, so Cecilia, um, one of the things about your film, of course, is the environmental issues or the, 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 the environmental injustice and, uh, and could you, and how they are related to colonialism and militarism. And of course, the situation in Vieques. Um, so, and the, and the, obviously the the failure of the federal government to respond quickly and you know promptly to to the hurricane. Could you talk to us a little bit about that and how you? Um, yeah, so how, how do you approach that in the film? Because the other thing that is interesting about your film is that kind of parenthesis that you make right between those two, between those two events, uh, the, the hurricane and, and Ricardo Rosselló's um, um, Austin. So 
Mm -hmm. It's environmental justice, if you can address that. Yeah. I mean, I think that environment, thank you. Thank you so much for Patricia for moderating and for that wonderful introduction. Thank you to everyone who organized this event. Um, I think the first thing I will say is that I think for far too long, we've somehow talked about environmental issues in this incredibly decontextualized way as if um, the environment is something that doesn't, that is, that, that somehow oddly doesn't have to do with politics mm -hmm. or doesn't have to do with um, other forces of inequality, right? Um, it's taken us, I think, way too long in um, conversations around climate change, for example, to, uh, to talk about something that I think is, is it should be fairly um, second nature to say that environmental issues are disproportionately affecting uh, communities like places like Puerto Rico, right? Um, and I think that uh, I mean it's funny I have a I have Octavia Butler's books next to me right now uh, because I've been teaching um, her wonderful um, Parable of the Sower and Parable of the Talents, and you know she knew she knew this in the 90s when she wrote those incredible books that, um, you know, racism, colonialism, classism, inequality, um, those things can, you know, we can't talk about saving the planet <laughs> if we can't talk about um, uh, other sorts of pre-existing forces of injustice. I mean, climate, the climate crisis is a political crisis. It is something that that was created by the same forces that that put people in bondage. So, um, yeah, it's funny because I, you know, I made this film, yes, about a hurricane, but in, in a way I actually, I began my, 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 I'm, my impulse to make the film was actually thinking more about ex immediately about disaster capitalism and, and the economic forces at play, the predatory forces at play that I was seeing happening um, and not because I wasn't thinking about a hurricane, it was the hurricane that made me want to make the film. Um, but it was precisely because I felt like the public discourse around the hurricane wasn't talking, wasn't, just wasn't, wasn't accounting for, um, these really important economic factors and, um, economic policy that has everything to do with colonialism. So, um, yeah, I think I would say, of course, um, uh, environmental issues are connected to to other other forces at work. And that's what we tried to show in the film. Well, one, one, one of your characters says that the hurricane uh, was the hurricane that all of you had inside. Somehow mm -hmm. it opened that hurricane inside, right? So that, that's another way to, I, I think, uh, think of this. Uh, the, the hurricane happens, but then it opens up the, all the holes in the systems that were before that. Yeah, and and you were very good. I, I mean, very powerful in your film to kind of really go back to go to the background of all of that. So the, the the foreground is the hurricane and and the devastation, but the 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 background of the reasons why and how people were feeling about it is always in 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 the film in the tone of the film, and and that was really. Uh, wonderful. And the thing about Puerto Rico too that you showed in the film seemed to me uh, is those the, how systematic in Puerto Rico these forces are happening. Like it's, it's like mm -hmm. a test, it's a test tube. Uh, Absolutely. Yes. I mean, it's a, uh, you know, we, we talked a lot about Puerto Rico as a laboratory. And again, this mm -hmm. is something that has um, 
there's a you can't there's, I don't think you can talk about the Puerto Rico as a laboratory without talking about history because this is not the first time. Hopefully, the, hopefully this um, this experimentation on Puerto Rico will end um, soon. Um, but Puerto Rico has um, throughout its entire colonial history been a laboratory for the United States. Um, you know, many thousands of women were forcibly sterilized by um, you know uh, predatory health policies. Um, uh, we've had experiments in um, industrialization and agriculture. You know, moving people off of the land into um, into cities and and uh, experimenting with monoculture and pesticides and um, you name it, military experiments, war games. Um, so, um, and I, and the thing is, it's, it's, it's interesting because I think that, you know, in Puerto Rico, I think you can become quite paranoid after a while because it starts to, it starts to feel by design mm -hmm. and it sounds crazy, right? There's, there's a moment in the film where somebody says, I think that they're, they're trying to annihilate us. Yeah. And that sounds really histrionic, but, um, there's actually a, a, a tremendous economic interest in in ridding Puerto Rico of of, of Puerto Ricans. I, I firmly believe that. Um, so um, it sounds nefarious and strange, and and like there's some kind of sinister man twirling his mustache. But um, the, the sad reality is that those people actually exist, and um, and, and there are policies, um, economic policies that were put in place before the hurricane that the hurricane only exacerbated and those economic policies are uh, and this is i would say what i call the trojan horse of the economic policy is that um all the austerity measures that puerto rico is undergoing right now the the seven person unelected fiscal control board that is in charge of puerto rico's finances that was put in place by president barack obama these are unelected people that are in charge of puerto rico's finances the whole story is that they're there and they're dictating fiscal policy as a way of helping Puerto Rico, um, as a way of, of helping Puerto Rico recover. The language of recovery is weaponized in Puerto mm. Rico. And this, the hurricane is only another way in which the language of recovery gets weaponized. It's interesting that you say that because I, I remember that was about paying the debt. Right, that was put together to pay the debt and and, and to make sure Puerto Rico could pay. Right, seventy-two billion dollar debt. I, I just want to make it clear: it's a seventy-two billion dollar illegal debt oh. that many of um, the, the vast majority of people in Puerto Rico that are paying the debt. And you can say people are literally paying the debt when you go buy a cup of coffee and you have to pay. I think it's twenty some percent uh, sales tax. You're paying the debt. Hmm. You pay the debt when your school is closed because because it has to be closed so that the debt can be paid. You're paying the debt in in, in the potholes in the streets. Um, so um, people in Puerto Rico are paying the debt um, that they did not create in every aspect of their lives right now. Yeah, that that could be a, a film alone, that debt, how, yeah. how they, 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 they kind of did this, kind of take it apart and see how, because um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a lot. and. And you do to touch on that it, with the, the young people there that, that speak uh, in, in your characters that speak in the film. They talk about that very mm -hmm. clearly <laughs> and passionately. It is very upsetting. Uh, another question that I need to make sure I ask is, um, I guess you touched on, on this a little bit, but uh, mm -hmm. 
yeah, kind of what the responsibility of the United States is in, to, in this venture of capitalism uh, and this unnatural disaster in the creation of natural disasters. I guess the question here is uh, to go a little bit deeper in, in kind of the U.S. responsibility. Well, I mean, I just talked about a man behind the curtain. Mm -hmm. I think the man behind the curtain is the federal government. Um, and, you know, um, this Lucho, who's the, the wonderful, uh, the, beard, the guy with the beard in the dinner scene, um, we hear him in voiceover at the end of the film saying, you know, talking about, you know, precisely this, that, you know, uh, people in Puerto Rico managed to oust the governor, as you as you noted. Um, but behind the governor, first of all, there are a lot of other politicians ready to ready to take over the governorship and 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 step in like, right where um, where he was. Um, but it really is that kind of, um, or you know, Alale says this: you can decapitate, you can take that, take off the head, but what, it, what, what remains? Um, so I think that the, you know, that's that is why, and it's it's um, it's so strange to me as a child of diaspora how long it took me to understand that this was this is what colonialism is. You know, people didn't even call Puerto Rico a colony when I was a kid. When I was growing up, it was it's a free associated state. It's a commonwealth. There are lots of euphemisms. But the reality is that it's the United States that pulls the strings at the end of the day. Um, these these policies that are put into place by, you can say, by Puerto Rican politicians who are complicit. Uh, it's it's a it's a sort of. Um, a pact, you know, um, to to have Puerto Rico be a kind of fiscal paradise. And I, I know I mentioned the debt, but I think it's also important to talk about the tax laws, that yeah. another path towards recovery is making Puerto Rico the um, the biggest, the, the, the best place for anyone with money to go to not pay their taxes, at least if you're an American. So um, it's not an accident that these incredibly, um, uh, neoliberal, you know, free market um, policies are at work in Puerto Rico. You know, again, there would not be a seven person fiscal control board in charge of Puerto Rico's finances if it weren't for President Barack Obama. He signed that legislation. It was Congress, hmm. Congress, which has no, which Puerto Rico has no representation in. So how can we not say that the United States is behind all of this? That imposition. Yeah. So my questions are accumulating here on the on the, on the, the people that want to talk. So I'm just going to go back here and I'm going to start. Uh, okay, let me see. Okay, I'm just going to start here. Uh, there's a long question, but it's a good one. The stories of Puerto Rico seldom gather large audiences, audiences except for sensational and temporary moments. Mm -hmm. uh, so the, 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 the Hurricane Maria, uh, so here's I, an example is Juan's Mayor Maria quote, this is a Puerto Rican people dying story. Mm -hmm. As a familiar care, what challenges do you face, if yeah. any, in persuading potential funders that there is a story to tell here that needed to uh, that needs money to to market widely? Yeah. So um, the first thing I will say is that um, you know again one of the consequences of colonialism is chronic invisibility on the world stage. Um, for yeah. Is this, you know, a, a small archipelago in the Caribbean that um, that is uh, very, you know, it takes something like a hurricane, a Category Five hurricane, for it to have a moment of media attention. 
Um, and that media attention is was sensationalized. It was totally, um, it was it was there for a moment, but it was a, a sort of parade of horrors of what I call ruined porn. And uh, and it was really, you know, the biggest moment was Donald Trump throwing paper towels at, at the Puerto Rican people. And that was the thing that went viral. Um, you know, it's, it's even like one of those gifts that you can, you know, send to your friends, um, lots of memes and things. Um, but I, that was precisely what I, what I said to potential funders. I said, you know, it is precisely because of Puerto Rico's chronic invisibility on the world stage that makes it the perfect laboratory. So what I, what I talked about was that Puerto Rico, um, because it's so small, I, 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 I would talk about, um, there's a wonderful book by Jamaica Kincaid called A Small Place, which is mm. about Jamaica. And um, there are a lot of similar themes in that book um, to things I was thinking about. But the thing about small places is that that they are, um, they're microcosmic, right? You, A small place like Puerto Rico is a place where you can see more legibly a lot of the social forces that we often think of as kind of amorphous and hard to to grasp things like how does debt relate to gentrification or gentrification relate to say military use of a of, of an island like Vieques you know um, these are really things that are sometimes hard to see and if you I think I would I, I basically would tell potential funders like we have to understand Puerto Rico not just because people in Puerto Rico uh, deserve to be heard and 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 centered um uh but also because um puerto rico is a cautionary tale for the world um mm. the the forces that work in puerto rico i mean you know it's the the metaphor you could you could think of the metaphor of um you know the the water lapping on the shore like puerto rico is our shore you know um it's the the this world of this this very you know sort of dystopian world of of hyper privatized uh, everything, right? Wherever all the public infrastructure is being dismantled and privatized, a world of, of the hyper rich um, li living in in a kind of you know these bubbles of like concierge, you know, five star everything. You, I mean, it, where 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 most people have you know crumbling um, health systems and 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 low access to all of their basic needs. Um, that is that is the story of our world, right? And 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 we are increasingly heading towards this this um, place. This we are we're living in this world of of extraordinary inequality and and growing inequality. So anyway, I I think that that would be my answer. Is or that was my answer when mm -hmm. I said you know um, it's not just because we 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 need to pay attention to the fact that there was a hurricane here. It's that we. I, I've been saying this to anybody that would listen, Puerto Rico is a handbook for our times. And it's also, and I just want to say, this is not just a catastrophic story. I want to say that people in Puerto Rico are leaders and experts in what it is to live in crisis, hmm. what it is to survive and to thrive, to extraordinary things and to care for one another. Um, if you want to understand how to get through crisis, study Puerto Rico and learn from Puerto Rico. Don't just pity Puerto Rico. Don't just feel sorry for people in Puerto Rico or send money, although you should, you know, send money when 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 possible. But um but I think it's also a place to be listened to and learned from. Hmm. Yeah, and that wisdom that's also uh, expressed in the film it, 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 you capture that in such a subtlety. Uh, hmm. but I got to go here. 
there you go. So here with the with the theme of emotions here, that this is very good. Uh, I found uh, the pace of the film and the way you stay state uh, with certain scenes to be moving because you created a space and time for layering of emotions. Yeah. I wonder if you could talk more about your choices in terms of pacing and creating scenes. Yeah. Well, the first thing I will say is that I, I, I did not make this film alone. I made it with um, a really amazing team of people. Um, I, I worked with actually a, um, a cinematographer from Colombia named Pablo. Yeah, from Medellin. Oh, yeah. <laughs> He's an amazing filmmaker. He's based in Montreal now, but he's an incredible filmmaker. And then I also worked very closely with an activist based in Puerto Rico named Lale Namro Pastor. Um, and the three of us, you know, really um, shot the film together in Puerto Rico. And then um, the film was edited by another wonderful filmmaker named Tara Jean Long, um, who has, you know, I always want to work with people who have their own artistic practices. Um, I, 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 I find that I learn more from people that I can really exchange ideas with and people who are film lovers. And, you know, there's, I think certain, categories of you know people who, who who are attracted to say cinematography because they're more technicians or they're they're kind of a hired gun and uh i i want to work with people that i that i'm going to exchange with as an artist and so anyway i just want to recognize that they they all had a profound impact on this film as well as my producer enos huffman kana who made so much of this happen um but i will say that in terms of part of what was beautiful about the aesthetic process was that Pablo and Tara had worked together before. Uh, he, Tara had shot a film that he had, sorry, had cut a film that he had shot. Um, and I, and, and I, I mentioned that because, you know, this is a film that um, where we were from the very beginning, I was very, very aware that um, it's a film about trauma and it's a film about a traumatized people. And I, was very keen. That was one of the things that was dissatisfying to me about the media narrative that was unfolding was that there was very little space for people in Puerto Rico and people in the diaspora from Puerto Rico to have their uh, their their time to mourn, their grief honored. I mean, that is, in my mind, a big part of what those protests were about to oust the governor. It was this sort of cathartic moment of unresolved pain. Uh, and anger and outrage. And um, the hurricane was not um, simply just a media event. <laughs> it was it just, it's a watershed event that has um, had such an impact on people. And so I wanted to make a film that first and foremost would hold space for those experiences. And uh, I was really glad to work with people who like Pablo has a very patient camera and he um, is also very keen to um, be with people with his camera. He shoots handheld very beautifully. And so there's there's a lot of the film is shot handheld. And, um, and Tara too is a very patient listener. And um, it just felt important to me to not make a film that would be, um, you know, uh, cutting its way through this, this, this experience. Um, it's a film that asks you as a viewer to make space and sit. And if, if you are one of the traumatized, my hope is that the film actually offers 
even though it's a hard film, that it offers some space for healing. And for those that are not necessarily the traumatized, that the film invites you to hold space for those who are. Mm -hmm. And so it's really an invitation that, you know, the last thing I will say about this is that, you know, the film is quietly framed as a conversation. You know, there, it, it opens with two people sitting on a beach at night who are talking. And that's actually me and Lale, uh, but we don't identify us by name. You don't know, it's, it doesn't matter that it's the director and, you know, her collaborator. Um, but the reason we did that is because we had many, I, as a diasporic Puerto Rican, I felt that part of my role was to hold space for Lale's trauma because Lale had been through the hurricane in a way that I had not. Mm. And so the film it, like quietly posits this, um, this, this, this journey as a kind of act of listening, right? How do we um, sit with and be with and, um, and maybe decenter our own experiences for a moment as a way of of attending to the experience of those who have been through something deeply traumatic and that is unresolved. Yeah, that was one of the questions I had prepared or the themes, it was this idea of in intimate intimacy. It, mm. um, that dinner uh, that dinner scene, uh, the dinner table scene, it, it's very hard to pull something like that off, but I, I had a question about that. But I, I, I want to bring in, uh, see if somebody else has asked about that. Uh, they posed the questions because we, they were bombarding questions here. <laughs> um, okay, what I, somebody's wondering what happened to the uh, vulture capitalists? Those oh, what happened guys. to the vulture capitalists? Well, um, people, uh, there's, a, there's a multiple question here. Did people continue to stand stand up to them directly at that confrontation? That was very excellent. Did they leave, or they just uh, stayed behind the scenes? So it's a it's. I will say there's yes and no. So um, immediately after the hurricane, there was a kind of um, burst of energy around this. It was a fact, effectively a Bitcoin rush or a cryptocurrency rush mm -hmm. in Puerto Rico. It was, uh, there was a big push for people who are into cryptocurrency to come. And, um, and this whole uh, push, this kind of uh, uh, crypto rush, um, was masterminded by um, a man named Brock Pierce, who is the the short guy with the hat who is yeah. confronted in the scene. Mm -hmm. um, and while um, the initial fervor in certain ways has died down, uh, Brock Pierce still is very much uh, in Puerto Rico and um, and his ideology is very much at work in Puerto Rico. But again, the tax laws that are in place, uh, I, I just, just this week, a couple of, very famous YouTubers, the the Paul brothers, Logan, and I forget the other, his brother's name. If you follow you, these YouTubers, you'll know who they are. They're some of the most famous and wealthy professional YouTubers in the world. They just announced they're moving to Puerto Rico or Puerto Rico as they would call it. Um, and uh, almost every day there's a story about um, say um, a, a, a tourist who, who has come, who has, committed a crime, who's let out of jail. There's a lot of tension right now around people coming to Puerto Rico. And that that does continue. And um, Brock Pierce in particular um, is very busy. And um, he, he ran for president uh, last year, president of the United States, uh, very unsuccessfully, but 
Um, my personal belief is he's just buying influence in Washington. He mm -hmm. recently closed on a massive penthouse in Washington, D.C., and the story is he's running for president again in 2024. Um, but this ideology, the desire again to privatize the world, mm -hmm. to um, to exist in a, a place where, as as uh, Yaron Book, who is the the man making the speech in the film, there's a there's a scene at a conference where there's a man making a speech about privatizing everything. Um, he is uh, chairman of the board of the Ayn Rand Foundation. And for those that don't know, Ayn Rand is the is sort of the mother, uh, the founding mother of neoliberalism, of 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 you know deregulation of of finance capitalism. You can say unregulated capitalism. Um, he moved to Puerto Rico after the hurricane. Uh, Puerto Rico is a paradise for those who believe in a world in which you do not pay taxes, and it continues to be that. Um, so the forces are very much at work in Puerto Rico, and. Unfortunately, part of the reality is that the the crises in Puerto Rico are come are are so constant and so much on all fronts that um, it's it's not always easy to resist um, these forces when you're 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 just trying to you know keep your your family fed and you know that's part of what we were trying to capture is how overwhelming everyday life in Puerto Rico can be. So you know um, I think that they're they're is definitely a desire for resistance of these of these forces and these people but there's also a sort of sense sometimes politically that it's like take your pick what what are you going to resist and so that's partly why the protests were the protests were so important and so exciting in a lot of levels to see people coming together on all fronts um but it's also hard to sustain that kind of political momentum so um Yes, the answer is the very much. That's why we end the film without really an ending, as a as a kind of ellipsis, um, because um, this is not this is far from over. It is far from over. Yeah, I mean, and they are trying to convince, taking advantage in those conferences, in those conference rooms. Sometimes you, you, it was hard to tell who they were speaking to. Right. Sometimes to the young people, like you, the, the, you, this is you, you. You can't believe in government. Like taking advantage of the trauma the Puerto Ricans, the people mm -hmm. in Puerto Rico were having. Mm -hmm. Like, well, if you follow us, <laughs> it was a moment. no. Absolutely. I mean, it, so you. There's an element of a kind of Pied Piper, and I. The part of the reason that we included a scene with with young Puerto Ricans at a you know it's a, a, a hackathon event, is that Puerto Rico is full of of incredible youth who like any young person want to have a future. And there's a sense in Puerto Rico that the future has already been mortgaged quite literally because of the debt. And so um, what, what you have, I think if you're a young person and somebody's coming and saying, hey, this is, you wanna stay in Puerto Rico? You wanna save your people? Here's a way to do it. And uh, that is that is to me the insidiousness of, of, of how this recovery narrative is being, is being peddled because you have a whole generation of people who love, of Puerto Ricans who love Puerto Rico, they love their homeland, they don't want to leave. Um, they just want to, you know, be able to have a decent life. And, um, you know, if you're um, interested in technology and you read about Steve Jobs and Silicon Valley and, and these kinds of this, and the idea that tech is the future, um, these messages can be very seductive. Um, and so that, that is part of why, you know, that's that's why I call call it a kind of Trojan horse. It seems like it's one thing, but it's actually another. And in the salvation, right? But in reality, um, okay, so I gotta go back. 
So the venture capitalists, uh, what is the uh, what is the outcome of the people that have been interviewed? Uh, mm -hmm. Have there been any improvements? Uh, what happened? I think you already addressed this. Uh, what happened after the well, he was the resignation of the governor. Uh, you know, so yeah. what was going on now? I suppose. Um, I, I I will say it's it's it remains very difficult. Um, the 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 governor's party remains in power, although I will say the last elections in November. Um, it was extraordinary. Um, it was the first election in, I, I think, certainly in my lifetime, that um, th there was no majority of votes to either of the two dominant parties, uh, neither neither party. I mean, basically the Benepes, which is the, the party of, um, of Rosselló, squeaked by and can continue uh, in power. Um, but, I, you know, I think it's, things in Puerto Rico are still very hard and, uh, you know, the pandemic certainly hasn't made anything easier. And uh, what I what I say is that you know, to use a kind of health metaphor, uh, for better or for worse, if the United States has a cold right now, Puerto Rico has pneumonia. Mm -hmm. um, and so everything that we are dealing with um, outside of Puerto Rico, in terms of the, you know stateside, um, is that is magnified um, in Puerto Rico. Um, and so, um, yeah, I, it's, it's very difficult. Um, but at the same time, um, the, there is a lot of resistance and a lot of people are, um, there's, I think, a really pivotal sense that um, people understand very much that they have been had and that um, the status quo cannot continue. So I think that they're um, particularly, I think there's a younger generation, like, you know, my parents' generation grew up with this sense that the American dream was a possibility. Mm. Um, so there's a way in which, you know, that that kind of colonial relationship is, is feels like the right thing and the best thing. Um, I think that that um, relationship has soured considerably for younger people. Um, and so, so yeah, um, but I, unfortunately, you know, I can say that everyone that, that participated in the film continues to um, do their work in Puerto Rico and be wonderful and amazing. And um, I'm very privileged to know them. And, um, but it's, uh, yeah, I don't have any, any, you know, clear, happy endings either. <laughs> You know. Yeah. It's, well, that 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 open ending, right? That's what it is. We we just gotta keep going, right? Gotta, gotta keep doing, and that, and that's kind of part of the the pain of all of this. That despite everything, you have to keep going. Mm -hmm. You lose a leg, then you lose this, and then you, but you have to keep. It's, it's 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 horrifying. Somebody here in the list wanted to know, and this is kind of changing. Uh, gears a little bit is what were your plans for your next project? Oh. <laughs> well, you know, it's a, uh, it's, it, it's a pandemic. <laughs> so um, it's, it's an interesting time to be an independent filmmaker. It's certainly um, been challenging. Um, but I, uh, it's before I even started making this film, I was um, yeah. working on a very different film about my high school experience. Um, and I grew up in Central Florida in a place called Winter Park, and I was one of the few non-white uh, kids growing up in this very white place. And uh, yeah, it's actually a very funny film, and it's kind of absurd. It's like a high school Hollywood high school reunion movie. Um, 
So is it a documentary or? It is. I'm going, I, I'm, I'm revisiting my teen traumas and I'm actually reenacting my memories. My work is always about memory in some way or another. And, um, and this is a case in which I'm reenacting my teen memories and I'm playing myself. And uh, it's very, both very funny and very, very cathartic and absurd. Uh, but it's really a film about making peace with the things that haunt you uh, as an adult. And uh, and yeah, we've been working on it for for almost four years now. But um, hopefully, hopefully, finishing it this year, we'll see. Yeah, well, we're waiting for it. Definitely, yeah. definitely. I want to make sure. Uh, well, they stopped the questions. They were going too fast, and I was going too slowly. Uh, so okay, I think they. Okay, so now now question about the statehood. Mm. Uh, so in the light of the history and events depicted in the film, will you will becoming a state help or make it more difficult for Puerto Rico to claim or define its identity, its identity or in what ways? I would say that Puerto Rico's political life has been overdetermined. Uh, the conversation about Puerto Rico's political life has been overdetermined by the status question. It's been kind of the question, you know, political parties in Puerto Rico are drawn on this question. Do we become a state? Do we become independent? Do we maintain the status quo? Um, and frankly, I think it it sort of mutes the conversation about, you know, uh, we can become very fixated on, on this as this kind of solution, a, a blanket solution. Um, when in fact, I think we need to have a conversation about about decolonizing Puerto Rico in all kinds of ways. Okay. What I mean by that is getting rid of the control board, for example. Um, I mean, I mean, canceling the debt. Uh, I also think that you know this is a question of sovereignty. It's. Uh, I think that for many, many, many people, um, statehood would only. It's sort of like you know, being chained up in a basement for twenty years and then marrying your captor. You Whoa. know, it's like. It's there's something so deeply um, morally repugnant about that idea for a lot of people, um, and so I think that um, for and certain and it's certainly not for me as a diasporic Puerto Rican to have any uh, determination over this. This should be determined by the people of Puerto Rico that live in Puerto Rico. Mm -hmm. um, so I, what I will say is I want to see, uh, you know, I, I want to go back to what um, Laura, who's one of the young women at the dinner who set, talks about what does it mean for to be free in Puerto Rico? You know, is it mean, it, it could mean quite literally independence, you know, for Puerto Rico to be free, but it could also mean um, being able to feed one's children, being able to educate one's children, being able to, um, you know, have a, 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 you know, a functioning healthcare system. So that's what I think we need to be focused on. Um, and I certainly will say that the existing status quo is not working. And you know Puerto Rico's current, um, again, the, the 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 current status of Puerto Rico is free associated state. If you can tell me what that means, then I'll give you a hundred dollars. Free associated state. It's, it's it's ridiculous. And what to me it means is uh, laboratory. It means colony. It means experiment. It means opportunity for uh, for those who who can make money. Um, and so. Um, I, I do think that the current situation is untenable. Um, it's it's not going to result in a Puerto Rico that is for the people of Puerto Rico long term. 
Well, it seems uh, that the, the, it is so systematic the way in which personhood is being taken away. So it's nationhood or statehood and personhood, right? It's sovereignty, a, yeah. right? This idea, I mean, this is that's what I mean about this notion of sovereignty. So we can talk about the sovereignty of the self, mm. you know, or the so, or, or sovereignty, you know, the, the, that's why I'm saying it's not my place to even resolve this question. It's a self, it's a question of self-determination. And I, you know, again, I'm a product of, of what I call forced migration, you know, which is colonialism. Um, I, I, but that's because of that. It's not, it's not, I don't have a vote, just like people in Puerto Rico don't have a vote uh, for, you know, the U.S. president. I certainly don't have a vote. That, that's, that's just a negotiated situation. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much for that. Uh, yeah, everybody wants to know everything here. <laughs> uh, so, and there's this thing about nostalgia and um, mm -hmm. this idea of utopia, right? And yes. how the young people, and there's the horrible, super uh, capitalistic utopia mm -hmm. and the people there. But there's a question here a little bit like that. It yeah. goes back to the soundtrack, right? In Mi Viejo San Juan. Like what was more nostalgic than that, right? Uh, and it's in Spanish. Uh, you can read it, please read it in Spanish. Yeah, the part, part of it is in English, you know, it's Spanglish, wonderful. Let's read it in Spanish first. <laughs> the Spanish first. Uh, ¿Dónde puedo escuchar la banda sonora? Lloré mucho con las canciones originales y en específico en Mi Viejo San Juan. Puedo contestar en español y lo puedes traducir después para dar un poquito. It's a little bit of language activism here. I just claro que sí, claro. Y creo que están traduciendo también. So I, I will say, give my answer in Spanish and then we can translate for everyone else. Pues la banda sonora, bueno, tengo una compositora increíble que se llama Angélica Negrón que sale de Puerto Rico que es, es boricua y es, ella también hizo la banda sonora para mi, mi, mi primo, primero largometraje, y es sumamente talentosa y acaba de soltar la banda sonora, en su, es una, una compañía que se llama Big Branch Music y puedo poner el, el link para compartir el enlace, pero está disponible para comprarlo y, y nada, y bueno, un poquito de trivia que... Um, en, <ríe> canté en los créditos <ríe> en no. la sí, eh, pues nos, nos, se, nos uh, acabaron los, los chavos y nada, yo terminé cantando pero, anyway, you can translate oh, yo no sé, yeah. so it's being translated, right, I'm going to ask the people, yeah, I think so uh, so there's the, the there's the link here for your for the the, the um, sound the sound the. Maybe what I can answer, I can say it in English. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, thank you. Yes. So I I um I work with a, an incredible um, composer named Angelica Negron, uh, who is Puerto Rican, and she did the music for my first uh, feature film, Memories of Pets and Heart as well. She's an incredible composer and artist, and um, she just released the soundtrack, um, which is available for purchase. Um, and I just put the link in. Um, and I have to say, it's a it's a work of art in its own right. I we comp we we actually edited um, you know a whole scene of the film, the scene with these lobsters around her music instead of the other way around, which is not typical for a documentary because her music is so beautiful to to me. So yeah. Well, I thought you sang in the in the film. 
Yes, and the, I, I said but that I, yeah, I sang on the end credits. Uh, we ran out of money and Angelica said, oh, you can do it. And so I ended up singing on the end credits. But um, unfortunately, I mean, Viejo San Juan, we did not put on the on the, um, on the the end credits, um, but I, I, I am, was so moved by that moment of being there in that crowd, hearing that song for those that don't know. And, you know, we deliberately did not translate the lyrics into English because we wanted that to be a moment for people from Puerto Rico. Um, that's a song that's, uh, it's a song about a man who left Puerto Rico and never came back. And it's um, it was just very moving that in that moment of protest, people were singing that song. So I'm glad that uh, that it touched somebody. Oh. A, a lot of us, I, I mean, it's a Latin American song. I mean, we in Colombia heard it. Mm -hmm. and, you know, it, yeah. it was a, when I left Colombia, they sang to me that song. It's a song about migration, you know, it's a song about leaving one's homeland behind. But I think it's particularly telling that people were singing a song about losing one's homeland in and in. Viejo San Juan, the you know the location that the song is about. So I think it's it has a double meaning because I think because Puerto Rico is a place that that literally we are at risk of losing entirely. Uh, so there's a way in which you know we have a nostalgia for 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 a, a, a future that hasn't happened yet. Um, so. Yeah. And it's a love, it's, 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 a, it's a heartbreak. Uh, you know, the thing I wanted to talk to you about is that love, right? It's a profound, profound love for Puerto Rico, right? It's this heartbreak, this very deep, hardcore love uh, and that we, I, I, we learn to love it, uh, to love Puerto Rico too, in New York City, right? We, we come here and like Puerto Rico and then the film also that. Yeah. So we we are being told that we have ten minutes to to the end of the event. Um, is there anything that you would like to say that yeah. we haven't asked you, or is there anything that you know more? Well, I mean, I can say something about my about loving Puerto Rico. You know, um, I learned a lot. Uh, I learned. I always learn a lot making my films. They. I don't. I don't, I, I feel like if you're not being transformed as a filmmaker, when you make a film, you're doing something wrong. Um, there might be, you might want to look at that. There might be some kind of unethical way of behaving, especially if you're making documentaries. Uh, I feel like um, documentaries should transform you. Uh, and in this case, um, you know, the origins for this were very personal and I want to recognize the experience. I know I talked about the trauma of people in Puerto Rico, but the hurricane was also incredibly traumatic for people in diaspora. There's, it's very hard to explain to other people just how terrifying it it was to not know what was happening to our families. To to watch this parade of images of people lining up for gasoline and water and supplies and no aid was coming, and then Donald Trump is throwing paper towels and the indignity of that and. Um, and then just the 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 cycles of of trauma of 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 hearing about corruption and you know there would be a story in the news about discovering the, the discovery of bodies in 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 trucks refrigerated trucks that that people they were basically hiding bodies that were decomposing as Lala talks about in the film the you know I mean another thing I will talk about is there's a moment in the film where we 
show this kind of graveyard of, of water bottles. Mm. Um, there was this series of, uh, for years after the hurricane, of discoveries of aid that had not been distributed, of whole warehouses of aid that had not been distributed. And those those water bottles, you know, we um, we heard rumors about these water bottles that were in Dorado. They were, you know, they're like 30 minutes outside of San Juan. And we went looking for them and we basically like trespassed onto this private property where they had been dumped and nobody they they, nobody knew where they were. And so. You know, the, 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 it was it was just layers upon layers of 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 insult upon injury, and so I just want to say that you know, for me, uh, this film was was incredibly healing uh, to make, um, and and also very hard, very painful, and there was a lot of um, you know me having to confront things I didn't realize I I didn't know about Puerto Rico because I didn't grow up there because you know. Um, I just didn't, you know, I, I, and, and, and I, and I, again, I have to recognize my collaborator, Lale, um, who was with me every step of the way, who, whose voice, you know, carries this film. Um, you know, it's, it's, we don't say it explicitly. It's not, it's meant to be a kind of archetypal voice. It's not meant to be about Lale's personality or experience specifically. It's meant to be about the people of Puerto Rico. Um, so I guess I just wanted to say that that you know I I I hope that um, for those that that need the film to uh, help them heal I hope it does and I know it's difficult I know it's a, a painful film for those who are directly connected to Puerto Rico um, but I I'm glad that you noticed the love with which it was made mm-hmm. uh, because. It's funny. I, I've done a lot of these conversations, and I, sometimes I forget. <laughs> I, I forget to remember that that that's 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 why I made it, and um, you know, um, and it's it's. I, I just want to say that things in Puerto Rico are very very hard, um, but I, I I also have seen firsthand just how profoundly um, beautiful and moving. Um, the work of justice is, and that I learned from people in Puerto Rico who are um, literally saving one another. This is not a story about um, about people from on high um, having the solutions. The solutions are coming from communities and um, people literally saving other people. Um, and that is something that, um, that has really um, transformed me. Well, um, thank you, thank you, thank you so much. I, I think, I think that's it. There's one last question. Should I ask that last question after that a beautiful <laughs> statement? Uh, I, um, so, climate change has caused this trauma you mentioned and the destruction that we see in your film. It seems that younger generations can rebuild the future or revitalize it. Mm. Um, but I think you responded it already, and is uh, is is treated in the film. Uh, how do you feel about that? How do you feel about this? Uh, I, I said a lot about climate change already, but one thing I will say is, you know, I think about. Um, I I really value all uh, any reaction to this film. It was is difficult because the film was released, you know, in this pandemic time, and I've never seen it with an audience, and uh, never seen it in the cinema where it was supposed to be. Um, and so 
one one I just want to share one one reaction, which was from my father, who um, you know I was worried my that my my father would be um, uh, how do I say this um, turned off by some of the more radical elements in this film, the more mm-hmm. the more politicized um, activist types. And, <laughs> and uh, when he saw the film, he said, you know, I just found these young people so so inspiring. And he said, you know, they're so um, eloquent and so so clear. And, you know, and we would say, lo tienen bien claro. They have it very clear. It's very clear, you know. Uh, I think we would say woke in English or something <laughs> like this. Um, but I think that that's something I will say is that um, it is the youngest uh, in our society that have it very clear and know um you know, again, this notion of a mortgage future, if Puerto Rico is the handbook for our times, um, this is not just a, a story about Puerto Rico. This is a global um, a global situation uh, and a, a global future that's been mortgaged. So um, I think that that's, that's who we should be listening to the most. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Uh, so wrap up, they're asking us to wrap up. And uh, yeah, last words will be nothing but thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah, uh, so that's my last words. I don't know if you have any last. I, I mean, I what, what I will share is that um, this is an independent film. And if you saw the film and you, you want others to see it, um, please do follow us on social media and share. We've got our trailer on there and um, please share it with people. We're going to be um, actually doing a, a digital series of our own, kind of like this in April and May. We're gonna do a six part series of conversations and panel discussions with uh, grassroots organizations doing the work that we highlighted in, in the film. Um, and it's gonna be a really beautiful series of events and we're also gonna make the film viewable. So please stay tuned for that and tell people about it. Uh, we really rely on word of mouth, I'm no kidding. Um, but then also the film is going to be broadcast on PBS this summer. And so it's going to be widely available for free um, on the wonderful program POV. So um, again, we, we would love, I would love nothing more than for you to tell your friends and uh, families and those that you care for um, to check it out. Count on that. Thank, <laughs> Thank you. you so much. So yeah. I think we are. Thank you. Done. <laughs>
picture a scientist. That's March 3rd, 7.30 p.m. We'll see you there. Thank you. Good night.